What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Good Talk Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Cuba. That's really going to be our main topic today. Uh, we'll have our verse of the week from Psalm 59. And just stay tuned. We're going to give a, like a brief history of the country of Cuba. We're going to talk about um, what's going on there now and what the Biden administration um, is is planning to do about it or, or what they what they think about that. We're going to talk about uh, the response um, of other political figures. And then we're going to talk about what I think that we should do uh, to amend the situation in Cuba. So stay tuned. This is going to be a really, really interesting um, and serious podcast. Um, so yeah, just sit back and uh, enjoy the show. Okay, so if you guys have been in the news really at all recently, um, especially over the past few days, you already know and have heard about the huge, what's going on in Cuba. There are these massive protests across the country uh, protesting the communist regime uh, that has been abusing and stifling their, the people of Cuba for decades. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about more of that later. But to start off, I really wanted to go all the way back to the beginning because I want, I want to give you guys an idea of the history of Cuba, what Cuba is, what Cuba has been, um, and kind of to show you the, especially the relationship between Cuba and the United States, uh, but also between Cuba and other countries, Cuba within itself, kind of the power struggle within Cuba. I've done a lot of research on this, and I'm going to include as many of the the sources that I used in my in the description of this podcast episode. And so, I would really encourage you guys to check that out. I'm going to give you some more resources towards the end. But so let let's just kind of start from the beginning. All right. So in 1492, Spain colonized Cuba. Uh, so that was Christopher Columbus. They they came to Cuba, and they set up some colonies there, and and that was really the beginning of the Spanish influence in Cuba. No other country, at least in the colonial era, got a hold there. So so really for the for the uh, the rest of the 16th and 18th centuries, um, Spain was in full control of Cuba, and and that was kind of the the situation there for a long time. Uh, during the 19th century, uh, kind of was the beginning of the separation between Spain and Cuba. Uh, this was also happening really throughout the Americas, where all of these other countries were fighting and revolting in Cuba. If you've studied uh, the history of the Americas much, you'll, you'll, you'll know all about a lot of those different revolutions that went on. Um, but, so, in... Uh, but but really, what ha this is what happened in the 19th century. So we're talking 1850s. Um, in, in that time frame, uh, the growth of the, the growth of the U.S. Uh, and the collapse of Haiti. Now Haiti was is, is very near to Cuba, and it is a huge sugar sugar outputter uh, is what Haiti was. Well, Haiti collapsed, and with the growth of the U.S. so close uh, to Cuba. Cuba basically rose up and became the huge sugar and tobacco outputter in the Americas. 
the ex- exporter, I guess is the correct word. Um, and that brought huge economic growth. Growth. Um, they uh, they basically, yeah, they started they started growing uh, as a country, and this was very conducive to the prosperity. So people, quality of life grew. Um, everyone was making more money. It w- it wasn't too bad of a spot to be. Spain took advantage of this and began bringing upon harder taxes and heavier, you know, extortions um, to an extent. You know, think Britain and the colonies, right? The colonies were prosperous, so Britain taxed them more. Uh, Cuba was prosperous, so Spain taxed them more. Um, That combined with kind of an ancient, not an ancient, but a a long-standing rivalry between the Creoles, kind of like the the indigenous, part indigenous people um, of Cuba who were, you know, the children of Cubans and Spaniards, uh, <clears throat> they began, uh, they, they they were vying for political control over Cuba while the Spaniards were also doing that. And, and that all kind of blew up in the, the Ten-Year War, which was from 1868 to 1878. Uh, which was a, a failed revolution, and that that was just kind of the beginning of the end. Then the United States, <clears throat> the United States steps in, um, and sides with Cuba uh, for a couple reasons, mainly because of the 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 strategic interest there of how close they are. Uh, they the U.S. was kind of preparing. To, to move into Panama and kind of work on the Panama Canal. And so there was a lot of economic interest for the United States in Cuba. And so we sided with Cuba, and they gained their independence. Um, and they, they were they were independent for a while, and that was uh, successful for a bit. So in, in 1933, the U.S.-backed regime was overthrown uh, after, there, during a revolution uh, that was really revolting against that regime based on a lot of corruption issues and other things like that power abuse the 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 something that is a major theme really throughout all of Cuban history is every single government is just wrought with corruption and power abuse there's there's a lot of dictators a lot of militant people who come to power and uh, you'll see that a lot and uh, so that that was the let's see if I can find the name of that regime that was the this is the 1930s this was the prompted by the 1930s saw a major attempt at revolution prompted by the cruel dictatorship of Gerardo Machado Y. Morales and he was the president, uh, supported by the United States. Um, basically, a, a group of Cubans, mainly intellectuals, they, they overthrew that. And that happened on... Machado was forced to resign and flee the country on August 12, 1933. And I'm going to post... This is from the uh, History of Cuba on... Uh, let's see the One World Nations online. It's, it's a really cool site. And, and I'll post the link to this in the 
description of this podcast. Um, and so basically the person who took power was, uh, let's see, it was Batista, uh, Sergeant, uh, I can't find his actual name. Uh, but he became the president in 1940, and that was kind of the reigning regime until Fidel Castro seized power. And we, we, of course, all know about Fidel Castro. He seized power on January 1st, 1952, um, and turned uh, Cuba into a one-party communist state. It, it became official on April 16, 1961. I don't really know what makes it official i guess that's when historians say that that is uh but yeah so batista's coup d'etat on march 10 1952 uh kind of brought that about and so yeah fidel fidel castro rose to power and castro obviously is a huge huge um character in international politics but specifically in cuban politics he reigned for a long time um i don't have a number but i'm sure what we can do the math in a bit but so what what really happened in april 16 this is when the united states began uh being at odds with cuba specifically so uh on on in october 19 of or october uh, in october of 1960 the uh, the U.S. began the first embargo uh, against Cuba. Uh, it was October 19, um, and they broke diplomatic relations on January 3rd, 1961, in response to Castro's expropriations without compensation and other and other situations. He was arresting U.S. citizens um, and things like that. Uh, really shortly after that was the Bay of Pigs incident. Uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion, which was a failed invasion uh, by, you know, U.S. Ex or sorry, Cuban exiles um, and some U.S. troops, which was a huge failure, obviously, and really emboldened them. Then, of course, the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. This was this was brought about because the Cuba had aligned themselves with the Soviet Union, and this was all during the Cold War. The Cold War uh, was lasting really from the, 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 the 50s to the, the 80s and the 90s uh, when, when the Berlin Wall was taken down and communism really kind of fell apart in Eastern Europe. But the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was essentially where the United States discovered Soviet missiles in Cuba that the Soviets had obviously supplied to Cuba, uh, really against a naval um, kind of blockade that was put up by the United States. Um, and this was this was one of the biggest crises during um, the Cold War, right, where tensions were really, really high. And, and that was eventually diffused by an agreement between the United States and the Soviets that the Soviets and the U.S., they would withdraw their arms uh, as long as the U.S. promised not to attack Cuba. And that was um, agreed upon then. That was, that was still in 1962. 
Um, so the, the alliance that Cuba had with the Soviet Union really, really, really is, is really important, um, especially later, because what it, it, it essentially brought the downfall of the Cuban economic situation. Because the Soviets were re- because right think about it what the the Cold War was about a lot of things but it was really about the United States versus the Soviets um, and the United States fighting the spread of communism and then the Soviets trying to spread communism so the Soviets were huge 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 in spreading communism to sorry the Soviets were huge in trying to spread communism to Asia and the Americas and Europe and while the United States were trying to counter that so. The Vietnam War was an outgrowth of, right, the Soviets supporting, the Soviets were supporting the Viet Cong, giving them SAM, surface air missiles, giving them weapons, giving them all kinds of equipment. Same thing in North Korea, same thing in the Americas, in Cuba. And think about what all of those nations are like now. North Korea is in, it's basic, North Koreans are living in the Middle Ages, essentially, right? Vietnam. Uh, I don't really know what's going on in Vietnam right now. I'm going to assume it's it's not great. Uh, but I can't really speak on that. Cuba is in a disaster. Why? Because the the Soviets, their economy was based on huge, huge, a, a massive population um, and basically the temporary strength that they had post-World War II uh, and their economic power there. And they were supplying all of these other communist countries with money and weapons and food. Um, and mainly for Cuba, it was money and weapons. And so they were giving them, giving them missiles, giving them weapons, giving them money uh, to keep their economies going because, you know, communism doesn't work. Communism does not work. Um, and we're going to talk about that more later, but the, the Cuban government essentially became reliant on money from the Soviets. And what happens when that money stops coming? Well, let's find out. So in on January 1st, 1991, uh, Cuba's, the, the Soviet Union officially cut ties uh, with Cuba and stopped all of their subsidies <clears throat> Uh, to the Cuban regime. This resulted in a huge, like a huge economic crisis. Uh, the exports from Cuba fell 79% and imports fell 75%. Um, like, that is massive. In, that, like, those numbers are mind boggling how, how much Cuba was dependent upon the Soviet Union. Um, and, and through all this, right, the U.S. had an embargo on uh, Cuba because of, right, the, the communism that was going on and the fact that they were aligned with the Soviets, who were sworn enemies of the United States, etc. Um, in 1994, um, so kind of in response to all this, Cuba is a mess, right? Uh, the Cuban government tried to counter some of that by <clears throat> opening up some, allowing for some highly regulated small businesses uh, and stuff like that to arise, but it was really to no use because of how regulated it was um, and how 
you know, taxed and it wasn't a free market. They tried to implement free market strategies to save their economy, but they couldn't let go of the means of production, and so it, it, it really never went anywhere. Okay, so kind of throughout all of this, um, really in the, the 1990s, um, <clears throat> there was a, it, it kind of brought about a huge epidemic of illegal immigration from Cuba to the United States. Um, this was the the biggest wave of like you're talking about thousands and thousands of uh, Cubans who are trying to float to the United States, float to Florida on think about it, cars with their tires super inflated, rafts, boats, like they're trying to do all kinds of crazy things just to get out of Cuba. In fact, in 1980. Uh, the Mariel boat lift, basically Castro temporarily allowed for the immigration from Cuba to the United States and 125,000 Cubans, 125,000 Cubans immediately left. Can you, like, how bad do things have to be in one spot where as soon as you're allowed to leave, 125,000 people just leave? So that just kind of gives you an idea of how bad things were. This was not a, you know, communist utopia or a socialist utopia where, you know, everyone loves it there. Good thing we have free health care because it's really not that great. 125,000 people left uh, during the Mariel boat lift. Um, throughout this, U.S. sanctions continued, especially under the Bush administration, um, he really started to try to put pressure on the Castro regime to essentially ease up uh, their treatment of the people. That that didn't work, um, and the, the, those sanctions continued. Um, so this kind of began, the, the modern dissident movement really began with Oswaldo Jose Pias Dinas and the uh, Ver- Varela Project. That was this petition of 11,000 signatures calling for um, basically basic civil and human liberties um, for the people of Cuba. And the government responded with essentially affirming communism. They called the, the communist system untouchable and, uh, I'm trying to read my note, irrevocable. So it was pretty clear where the regime stood on giving up some of their power and treating the the Cuban people with um, any sort of respect and civil, you know, any kind of civil rights, any kind of civil liberties that, that is not an option in the eyes of the Cuban regime. Now, eventually in 2006, Castro gives up power and gives it to his brother, uh, who is um, another major political, and he, he, he's not any different. Castro doesn't die until 2016. Um, but his, th- there's still, you know, his brother is no different. He is still a dictator. He's still, you know, th- th- nothing, nothing has changed. So this is where um, we're, we're kind of brought up to speed to today. So, now, what is, what is, let's talk about what is going on in Cuba today. What, what can Cubans, well, Cubans cannot vote. 
this is not a democracy. This is a dictatorial regime, right? So they have no say in anything that's going on. Cubans cannot travel. You can't leave Cuba because if you leave Cuba, you probably won't come back. And Cuban, the, the people in charge of Cuba don't want that, obviously, right? Uh, you cannot eat red meat. Uh, did you know that 100% of the cows in Cuba are controlled by the Cuban government? And they're either, they're, it, the prices are just way too high and they're really only given to the people in power or they're exported. Um, the average Cuban makes 879 CUP. I don't know what that stands for, uh, but that is the, the currency of Cuba. Um, and that is the, that is the equivalent Sorry, the Cuban makes 879 CUP a month, which is the equivalent of a whopping 37 US dollars. $37 a month. That is, um, as far as I know, the below the poverty line. Uh, abject poverty. According to, the international poverty line is set as $1.90 a day. It is the universal standard for measuring global poverty. Uh, this was put up by, I got that from worldvision.org, but I don't know who set that poverty line. So let's just do some quick math. Um, $37.00 divided by, let's say we're in June, 30 days. That is $1.23 a day. People in Cuba are living off of $1.23 a day. Like, this is not a good place to be. This is a horrible, poor country. And I, this is all going to matter. Why am I setting this up? This is going to matter because I want to talk about what the United States, people in the United States are talking about doing, specifically um, what the media is saying about this. And, and it's really, really disgusting. Um, let's see what else. Cubits can't access the news or the internet. They got 3G uh, network um, in 2019, and that was the first time. Uh, oh, by the way, like here, they got internet for the first time in 2019. The internet had been around for 20 years, more than that at that point. Um, the internet was established in 1969. I didn't even know it was that early. Um, the the Cubans got it for the first time in 2019. Currently, during the protests, um, it has been all but cut off. Um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and most most social media outlets have been limited. Of course, the president of Cuba, he has access to the internet. He has he actually has a Twitter account. Um, there, th this is the people of Cuba have no way to show what's going on in there. Um, we ha we do have some cell phone footage uh, from Cuba uh, that I would encourage you to look up and watch because it is it is really really disturbing and it sheds light onto what is actually going on there. Uh, but that is highly regulated and it is very difficult to actually find out what is going on in there because of how internet has been cut off, and that matters uh, because of some of the solutions that have been proposed uh, by some. Uh, political figures that I would like to talk about soon as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that you guys know about the how Cuba is full of old cars. That's not because everyone in Cuba likes old cars. That's because there are no cars. Like, 
the United States is not sending any cars to Cuba, and people are still driving around in cars from the 50s. Like, this is not, it's not a good place to be. This is not, this is, this is a failed state, and, and I'm actually going to talk about what Biden says about Cuba, and I think it is actually admirable, uh, but we'll get to that soon. Um, so, this is, this is all to set the scene for what's going on now, right? I listed the things that the Cubans cannot do. I've, I've talked about, um, why this is happening, who is in power. Um, and so now I want to talk about what, what the Biden administration is saying. Um, so the Biden administration released a statement and I would actually like to read that because I do think... I, I'm going to be perfectly... I do think it is a good statement. I think that it is due for what is going on. And so I'm just going to read it. This is from the White House website, right? Statement by President Joseph R. Biden Jr. on protests in Cuba. We stand with the Cuban people and their clarion call for freedom and relief from the tragic grip of the pandemic and from the decades of repression and economic suffering to which they have been subjected by Cuba's authoritarian regime. The Cuban people are bravely asserting fundamental and universal rights. Those rights, including the right of peaceful protest and the right to freely determine their own future, must be respected. The United States calls on the Cuban regime to hear their people and serve their needs at this vital moment rather than enriching themselves. And so what's, what's really interesting is that right at the beginning, he starts with from the tragic grip of the pandemic. What, what the mainly the Democratic Party and the media has done is they have made the protests and the the unrest there and the all of the problems about the pandemic and that is simply false it is it is an injustice to the people who are patriotically protesting the authoritarian abusive regime by saying it's about an embargo that the United States put on 60 years ago. The embargoes were put on 1960. More have been added since then. But nothing is really, like, this is not an all-of-a-sudden thing, okay? The, it's not about the pandemic. It's not about COVID-19. No one is out there chanting, give us the vaccine. No one is out there chanting, like, U.S. release your embargoes. They're chanting freedom. Um, I wish I could play videos on here. I don't know how to do that. That's something that I want to learn. But I have like the videos that you're seeing coming out are people waving the American flag. Cubans waving the American flag because the flag stands for something, and the flag stands for freedom. And they're chanting freedom. They're not chanting any of the things that the the media wants you to believe. They're chanting freedom. And Listen to this tweet from somebody in Cuba, and, and the tweet is in Spanish, and I'm reading an English translation of that. I fight for freedom, not for a plate of food. I am not going to lower my dignity and treat the government filling up stores as though it were a favor. We want them out. There is no other way. These, are, these people, right? We want them out. There is no other way. I fight for freedom and not for a plate of food. I am not going to lower my dignity and treat the government filling up stores as though it were a favor. This is, like, what the media has done is they have said, this is about how bad the United States is, and we're 
having an embargo on them and we're we're making things horrible if if we would just ease up then they would they would be fine well that's that's not the case because we haven't eased up for 60 years and they've only gotten worse right this is this isn't the united states fault but there is stuff there is something that we can do that we can help them and i want to talk about that later as well but the, the, the main thing is that these people are not protesting the United States. They're not protesting the pandemic. They are protesting the authoritarian regime, which has ruined their lives. If, if they were protesting the United States, in 1980, they would not have left in droves when they were allowed to. Currently, right, there are still people who are trying to float to Florida, which is 90 miles. They would not be trying to float there if... They didn't, if they hated the United States and wanted the United States to get out of their business. The United States, to them, stands for freedom, and really, we have done nothing to help them. Really, right? I, this is what makes me so disappointed, is that they're, they're waving the American flag, and um, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the uh, Director of Homeland Security, or the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, um, he says... Do not come to the United States. He calls it a not worth the risk. Uh, and we'll send them back if they float across. Right? They're, they are waving our flag and calling out freedom. And AOC, the representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has stated how the U.S. is so horrible because we have had embargoes on Cuba and it has nothing to do with personal freedom. It has everything to do with how bad the United States has been. What It is disgusting how this situation has been watered down from a brave, courageous um, pushback against an authoritarian regime. Think about it. In the United States, we have it easy. If you go, if you're going to protest, the worst thing that could happen to you is you get shot with a rubber bullet or sprayed with mace. Okay? Sometimes, some people will get shot, but that is not something that is the goal at all. Think about it. Um, the one woman who got shot invading the Capitol, there, there, there were reasons for that. We can, we can talk about that another time. But... The, the, the safest place to protest anywhere is the United States, right? We're talking about people who get less than a year of jail time and maybe some expensive fines. We're talking about, like, and these are rioters. I'm talking about rioters. In terms of peaceful protesting, there is no, like, there is no consequence for that. If you are rioting and destroying property, then you will have retribution. Then you will go to jail. Then you will pay fines. But if you are simply peacefully protesting, and look at these videos. These videos are, there's nobody looting stores. Now, there are no stores to loot, so that could be something. But nobody is out there burning police cars, burning the Cuban flag, you know, rioting. These people are protesting generally in a peaceful fashion. I've not seen any videos of riots. Um, there could be, but in my research, which I did extensive research, um, 
it, it appears to me that these protests are peaceful protests. Um, and what, what are happening to these protesters? Well, the, the punishment for an unarmed protester is 20 years in prison where you can expect it to be tortured, where you can expect to be tortured um, without a trial. So you don't get a trial and you go to prison for 20 years. Um, and there is no chance of you ever getting out and you are most likely tortured starved i mean if you think about how bad it is to be a free citizen in cuba um you could argue that there are no free citizens but how bad could it possibly be in a prison right where there there is torture there is intense horrible treatment and that is 20 years without a trial uh if you look up these videos i'm there's this uh account uh an instagram account at farmhouse underscore schoolhouse and it's this woman and she is i mean i think she she's just a, a homeschool mom uh and she's she does normal stuff but recently she has been on top of this cuban situation and she's been posting a lot of great things but a lot of videos about what's going on there's a video of police cuban police attacking and dragging away a mother with her baby um and, and they're not just attacking protesters that's the thing they're going into neighborhoods they're cracking down on everybody they're dragging teenagers out of their houses because they they don't want them to go out and protest um they're they're shooting people right you've seen the videos of the of people just getting gunned down by the police this the and yet people are still doing this it, it, if you knew that that was going to happen to you what would it take you to protest um there's this statement in cuba and i'm going to horribly quote it but it's essentially you starved us so much that we ate our fear and we're not afraid anymore like that's basically the gist of it i um, mean it's the thing that these people are chanting where we know you're going to do horrible things to us for protesting but we're so hungry and we're so tired of being abused that we have eaten our fear and we're, we're going to fight back now, which I think is really an incredible statement um, worth admiring uh, to the extent of which, right, these people are not going to face six months of jail time or they're not going to get bailed out by the sitting vice president. Um, they're going to be tortured for 20 years and potentially, you know, die in prison and never see their families again. So, and, and yet these people are protesting and it's not to, to call, to water down the cause that they're fighting for to the United States embargoes from a fight for freedom and liberty is, is disgusting to me. Um, and it, what, what does that do? What does, what does watering that down do? What is that? Well, that calls on the United States then to presumably end the embargoes. And if we end the embargoes, that is supporting the, the regime that they are protesting. And, and I'll, get, I'll get to that more here in a bit. Um, and I know this has kind of been all over the place. I've tried to keep it more orderly. And I'm trying not to jump everywhere. So, so I hope you're following this, uh, but I am doing my best. All right, so 
what else has Biden said about this? Biden has called um, the Cuban regime a failed state, um, which is admirable. He's called communism. He actually called communism an univer- a universally failed system and socialism a not very good replacement. Those, um, those are paraphrases. Um, well, he said those things in so many words. He said socialism isn't a very good replacement. He said communism is a universally failed system, and he said that Cuba is a failed state. Uh, but I don't know the order or the direct quotes to that. But let's let's see what the president of Cuba has said. Um, and this is from CNN, actually. Um, uh, Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel responded to Biden's comments by calling on him to repeal um, these embargoes, that specifically some embargoes that were put on by the Trump administration. Um, if President Joe, Bi- Joe Biden really had humanitarian concerns for the Cuban people, he would eliminate the 243 measures applied by President Donald Trump, including 50 imposed cruelly during the pandemic. The U.S. has failed in its, att- in its attempts to destroy Cuba, although by trying to achieve it, he has wasted millions of dollars. <clears throat> um, so, in, in ending the embargoes, we not only give more money to the Cuban regime, we also bow to the will of the dictator who is absolutely abusing his people. As I am talk as I'm talking right now, there are people in Cuba being arrested, being beaten in the streets by the man who is happens to agree with Representative AOC and much of the Democratic Party. This this is not a good situation at all. I know I've said that a lot, but I, I'm hoping that it is clear to you. Um so what should we do now? What is my proposed solution? Well, there's a couple things that we can do. First of all, I would say we need to accept Cuban refugees. Um, these people are literally fleeing like a dystopian world. They're fleeing a world where the government is arresting you and throwing you in prison without trial and torturing you, where you're being beaten in the streets, arrested without cause. You're not allowed to eat beef you're not allowed to eat beef like what we need to help these people escape so we need to give them asylum political asylum or i don't know if that's the correct type of asylum i know there's a bunch of different types of asylum but we need to give them asylum okay so that's i think the first thing that we need to do next we need to not end the embargoes placed on by previous administrations um, I'm trying to find the uh, the s the the op-ed, um, but I can't right now. But it was put out by the Washington Post. I'll find it and link it in the description of this. Um, and the guy basically says that if we were to loosen the embargoes, it would essentially be a lifeline um, to the the Cuban regime. We need this regime to topple. We need the this communist state to fall apart so that the people of Cuba can choose their proper you know a more prosperous form of government of course i should ar- we should argue for democracy 
which is the best system of government ever to be seen anywhere on the face of the earth. But the anything right now is better than what they have. So if we loosen the embargoes, it's just going to preserve the state and allow it to survive. We need there to be. We need this state to collapse. We need to side with the Cuban people. We need to send humanitarian aid. And yes, that that does include COVID vaccines. That does include, you know, food and provisions to these people. Now, the we need to be um, the uh, governor Ron DeSantis of Florida sent a letter to the president. Um, and I, and I think I can try to read that right now. Um, and he basically called on the Biden administration to uh, assist the, the people of Cuba um, by giving them internet access. So this is this is the letter that uh, he sent. So, dear Mr. President, I write to you to ass- I write to urge you to assist in providing internet access access to the people of Cuba standing up against communism, oppression, and demanding a voice after decades of suffering under the yoke of a cruel dictatorship. As you know, the Cuban people are taking to the streets to protest the communist regime, and the Cuban government has responded with violence. At first, the world could see the images and videos of this mass movement, but now the tyrannical regime of President Miguel Diaz-Canel has shut off access to the internet. The Cuban people have lost their ability to communicate with one another, and many Floridians born in Cuba have no information on the safety of their loved ones. Equally as important, the world has lost the ability to see what's happening on the ground as the Cuban people rise in support of freedom. Technology exists to provide provide internet access into Cuba remotely using the innovation of American enterprise and the diverse industries here. Similar to the American efforts to broadcast radio into the Soviet Union during the Cold War in Europe, the federal government has a history of supporting the dissemination of information into Cuba for the Cuban people through radio and television, Marti located in Miami. In addition to sending information, however, our efforts must include creating a means for the Cuban people to speak to the world. I urge you to act immediately to provide all necessary authorizations, indemnifications, and funding to American businesses with the capability to provide internet access for the people of Cuba. Steps must be taken immediately. Internet access for the Cuban people is of critical importance as they stand up against the repressive communism communist government in the hands of these brave individuals such access may be the key to finally bringing democracy to the island sincerely Ron DeSantis governor that is a really good letter I think that that should definitely be sought after and President Biden to his credit he said they're talking about it. they're considering it he's figuring out what he needs to do to make that happen and like like I've said before um, we should praise i am a hearty critic um of the president um and i'm not i'm certainly far from his biggest fan however right now i think that the president in my opinion has at least in his messaging responded in a good way he has his statement is pretty good the things he said are good and he said that they are working on they're considering in the same speech that he talked about um, calling socialism, calling communism a failed, um, 
a failed system. Uh, he said that they're working on, they're tr- he's he's looking into it at least, um, and they're they're trying to figure out what to do. He talked about how it's hard to send them money because they're afraid that the regime is going to seize that fund, those funds. So, as far as message messaging is concerned, I the the president's response has been admirable. I just hope that his his walk matches the talk. We need action, and I. As a obscure podcast host, I'm calling on the president to take the necessary steps to protect the people of Cuba against their government. Um, and that's kind of it. This has been a very confusing and complicated episode. Uh, I'm very sorry about that. Um, it's kind of diff- this is a very complicated situation, and I tried to go about this in an orderly fashion, but I've got sticky notes everywhere. <laughs> this is this is it's not easy to sum this up, and so I really hope that you guys were able to follow what I was trying to say. I hope you guys understand this, um, and I want to I want to hear what you guys have to say. <clears throat> um, this is really important um, because. What, what do we not want? We, this is the, the history of the United States in foreign affairs is we're all, my, my mom put it perfectly the other day, always a, a minute late and a dollar short where we ignore something, we ignore it, we ignore it until it blows up. The Holocaust, like it blows, six million Jews dead. Like that, that was a disaster. The Soviet Union, right? Um, Stalin killed even more, um, I don't know what the numbers are, but millions and millions of the Russian people by starving them, right? Um, Vietnam. After we pulled out of Vietnam, the Viet Cong absolutely massacred the people of Cambodia and the people of North Vietnam and South Vietnam. They killed more than 6 million people there. Um, What was the the most recent one? In uh, the other one that we forgot, um, the 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 uh, there was another massacre, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a country. It was it was shortly after Vietnam that things were going on, and we ignored it, and we ignored it, and we ignored it, and then you've got thousands and thousands, and maybe even millions. I don't know the numbers. Um, of people killed. We don't want this to be that situation. We cannot ignore this and brush it off and do nothing until it blows up in our face. We cannot say it's none of our business. They're just, you know, this is this is why we cannot play this down as just they're protesting the embargo. Because if we take off the embargo, not only was the protesting and the, the lives that were lost in Cuba protesting the government in vain, they produced the opposite effect. And that is a win for the Cubans, the, 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 the Cuban regime, right? If we do not do, take action, this will be another thing in the list of things where the United States played it down, we avoided it. And then it blew up 
and we could have prevented it. We, we cannot have that happen. I, this, is, this is one of my, my sayings is bad policy hurts people. I'm going to talk about the United States pulling out of Afghanistan in a couple episodes, uh, potentially the next one. Uh, I was originally going to talk about it in this one, but I wanted to focus on Cuba. Bad policy hurts people. Just like bad theology hurts people. That is the one of the cultish slogans and other podcasts that I, I listen to. Bad policy hurts people. It, the decisions that the president of the United States makes, or, or the lack of, has serious consequences that oftentimes are measured in lives. And we cannot have that happen again. And this is why it is so important to make the right decision here and to support the Cuban people to avoid this from being another incident. Another thing that could have been prevented that wasn't because we didn't take the necessary action. So that's why I'm making this podcast. I want you to be able to to talk about this with your friends, with your parents, um, to post this on social media, to to talk to your local Congress people and senators and governors, to to make to to spread awareness about this, to encourage the people who have the ability to to take the necessary steps, because this cannot be taken too seriously. Because if it is taken too lightly, there are real life consequences that aren't will lose the next election. I don't care, right? It le- <laughs> I hope that President Biden takes the necessary steps and is considered a hero for saving the Cuban people because I want I, I, I feel for those people. I don't want this to to be something that is ignored. And so like This is, this is serious, and that, that's why I'm making the podcast about this. So, I don't really have much to say. Um, we'll wrap this up with the verse of the week, uh, and then that, that'll be it for today. This was a little bit of a longer episode, but I think that it's a really important topic. So, there you go. Okay, so our verse of the week today is going to be Psalm 59, verse 16. Um, and that's going to be, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Um, this is, this is a really good verse. Um, it's very comforting, especially right now. Um, don't put your refuge in the wrong things. If your refuge is in something that is not eternal, then when that thing passes away, what are you going to do? If you need your reference in something that is steadfast and constant, um, and that is the Lord, that is Christ. Um, So I'm just going to read it. Read it one more time, and then that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, Psalm 59, verse 16. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This was a much more solemn and serious one. Also, it is easily the one that I've thought the most about and taken the most time to prepare for. So let me know what you guys thought. 
please consider seriously the things that I said. Um, and thank you all for, for listening. Good talk. <laughs>